your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Daniel Nutrimbowman. Daniel, what's going on, man? Just a nice winter day here in Edmonton, so I can't complain. It's nice to talk to you, Dmitry. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's great to have you on. Finally able to coordinate having you on the show for the first time after uh, numerous botched attempts, mostly on my end and, and just scheduling conflicts. And we're going to do uh, some Air Carlson wish casting here. So uh, sign me up for this conversation. It sounds great. Um, I want to just like unpack everything with you, like fully investigate like the reasons why the Oilers should be in on this or potentially shouldn't logistics how feasible it is all of that i know that once the initial report came out over the weekend you were quick to, to douse it with uh with cold water um and i'm, I'm kind of curious to, to to get into that with you and hopefully sure over the next 50 minutes i'm going to be able to to lure you over to the dark side and really get you to be yeah, on, on my side of this the conversation so let's get right into it what do you think is the most kind of interesting component of this like from the Oilers perspective in terms of the consideration or in terms of like what we should be thinking about when we're considering this topic yeah you know Dimitri it, it's funny because you know all these names that I've been hearing all year you know Gavrikov and Edmondson and to a lesser extent Jacob Tricker and I, I think we'll probably get into him later I know the Oilers you know have had some interest but really he's not a guy that they're from my understanding they're they're, they're super interested in I never really thought of Eric Carlson and and for the reasons of, uh, you know, the contract, the age, um, you know, obviously it's having a tremendous year this season. Probably will win the Norris Trophy, but the the previous two or three, you know, below his standards, I would say. Um, and, you know, when you look at the Oilers, the makeup of the Oilers team, you know, they have Evan Bouchard, they have um, Tyson Berry. The the profile of another right shot, obviously they probably have to move one of those guys in, in a trade for Carlson, but the profile of another kind of strictly or majorly offensive type of right shot defenseman doesn't seem to be their, their major need. And, um, you know, so for, I, I never really thought of it quite quite honestly, and I know his name had been out there. I never really even thought of it then. And, and then when, when Chris Johnson uh, put out that report, on Friday or Saturday of, of, of last week, you know, obviously I have to dig into it a little bit more. You know, I was told earlier in that week, uh, so we're going on about a week and a half ago now, um, the others are not be getting Eric Carlson. They, they just couldn't make it work with, with the with the money. Uh, they're obviously really up against the cap. They have to potentially move uh, or waive Yassi Pugliarvi today just to get Kyler Yamamoto, uh, you know, back on the roster uh, from LTIR. And we all know Carlson again. The contract with the eleven point five million dollars, uh, it would be very, very difficult to, to take on. And you know, I even checked in after uh, Chris's report, and, and again, it was, you know, they. Uh, my source said, you know, there's, there's some interest. It's possible, but remarkably unlikely was was the words or were the words that he used. And I, you know, I think the Oilers again, they do have interest, um, but it's going to be a heck of a of a task for them to be able to to fit Carlson in and to be able to find the right. Kind of matrix in terms of whether it's money retained or assets moved out uh, to 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 get Carlson in. Um, so all that is to say, you know, I never really thought about it. I I, I don't think he would be the the typical or prototypical kind of uh, defenseman the Oilers were were thought to uh, to be bringing in. But you know, the more I've thought about it over the last couple of days, uh, the more it, it it makes sense for for some reasons, and uh, those reasons are. Uh, Eric Carlson is an elite defenseman. There's no <laughs> two ways about that. You know, maybe you'd like the defensive side to be better, but the fact that he pushes play so much on the power play and even at five on five, you know, there's the uh, the, the uh, philosophy that the best offense or the best defense is a good offense, right? So, um, and, and the Oilers do struggle uh, despite their, uh, you know, elite power play uh, and you know, they're top 10 in the league in five on five scoring. They, they struggle to move the puck out of the zone. Uh, who's better in the league than Eric Carlson at doing that? And you look and, and you watch, I'm not sure how much you were able to watch the game last night between the Oilers and Red Wings, but there were a few times where, you know, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl were, you know, were gathering speed uh, out of their own zone, looking for a breakout pass and were missed. Uh, the Oilers iced the puck twice when they had clear cut, uh, you know, clear possession of the puck. It led to goals uh, in their uh, off ensuing faceoffs. Uh, that's an area that they can improve on, and and there's no one and no one better than Eric Carlson who can do that. So, um, to me, 
Um, again, not a guy that I thought of, but the more I think about it, could could work. It's just the money and the assets that they would have to move and and uh, to be able to kind of make the trade work that that seemed to be the the biggest kind of hold up for, for me. Well, let's take those things one at a time. I'm I'm with sure. you that I didn't initially think about it just because I think as recently as a couple months ago, it it would have seemed reasonably unfathomable that Eric Olson would move anywhere, right? Like it was kind of the, the contract was viewed as so prohibitive in terms of the future commitment that yeah. regardless of what he did, it would just be like a, a no-go for, for anyone, especially with like how flat the cap has been and then how tight up against it everyone is. And I think you know, we should start with as a testament to the type of year and the caliber of play, of the level of play he's he's been at from the start, yep. that he's reached this point where it's a legitimate discussion, right? Like, I think he's going to win the Norris, I, I believe, and 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 justifiably so. Like, if you look, he's got six more 5-1-5 points than any other skater, not just defenseman in the league. He's on pace for like 110 points. And so I, I think we can get into all the minutia of his game and what he'll bring to the table, and I think that is actually... A really interesting part of this conversation right because initially at first blush a lot of the pushback i think is well the oilers have enough skill on their team like goal scoring isn't a problem for them they need better defenders right i think that's kind of like the thought process that people have typically chosen or the stance they've taken and that's why they've been linked to guys like vladislav gavrikov and joel edmondson but it's interesting they've also been linked quite a bit i think at various points to, to john Klingberg and shane goss's bear right and obviously those guys come with uh, way fewer commitments financially, both in terms of actual dollars and term. But it's interesting that they've been linked to those guys. And and if anything, Carlson is just like a significantly superior version of both of them sure. combined. Sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, and, and it, yeah, and, and again, I, the one thing I keep going back to uh, in terms of a, of a con uh, would be the power play. And, um, you know, with Tyson Berry running the show, the, you know, the power placement first, third, and, and now first again uh, over the, the three years. So that's a skill that that Eric Carlson would, or a, a part of the game that Eric Carlson would would be a huge asset to, and, and certainly be a, a key factor uh, on if he were an Oiler. Um, it, you know, how much better could the power play be? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. But uh, uh, it would be it'd certainly make things scary in Edmonton. Um, and then the other factor, as, as I mentioned, Ty, uh, Tyson Berry, this guy is beloved uh, in, the, in, the, in the dressing room here at Edmonton. And there are those in the organization uh, that think he's been their best defenseman this year. Um, for what it's worth, I mean, certainly he is a bottom pairing defenseman at five on five. And the power play uh, for as, you know, if you want to give him credit at the same time, it's clear that Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid really run the show on that power play. So, um you know, you, you take that with, with a grain of salt, I suppose. But, um, you know, it certainly would be um, upsetting the apple cart a little bit to have, a you know, one of Con- Connor McDavid's good buddies, uh, uh, you know, probably, you know, punted off the team to make the money work. Yep. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we know that Eric Carlson is a significant upgrade over, over Tyson Bear. There's, well, there's no there's no mincing words on that. So uh, there, there's like that uh, dichotomy there, I guess, a little bit as well. Well, the fact that you say that people in the organization think that he might be their best defenseman and it's not a completely outrageous statement, I think should be a big check in the favor of we should go out and get Eric Carlson. <laughs> um, yeah, I listen, like Barry's been Barry's been better this year. And uh, and I understand, like you even heard the, the Elliot Friedman uh, report on one of the recent podcasts he did with Jeff Merrick where they were talking about that, right? And how like that, that would be a tricky situation to navigate from a relationship perspective. I think at the end of the day, it seems pretty clear, though, in that same report, Elliot Freeman also said how the top players, who I just assume would be McDavid and Dreisaitl, had expressed their desire for the team to add uh, a player who can get them the puck cleanly and make life a bit easier for them in terms of that transition game. And so, uh, you know, as you said, Carlson is is the best option available and, and possible for that. I, I, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had here about the power play is an entirely different thing, right? Where they're historically great. Like we haven't seen a, a power play unit since 2007 in the analytics era that's operated more efficiently than they have. And so I don't know how much better they can reasonably be, even if you replaced Barry's minutes with Carlson. I do think there are significant strides to be made at five on five, even offensively. Like you look, they're they're tenth on the season in in goals per sixty at five on five, as you mentioned in in the game last night. 
illustrated how there's times where they have opportunities to create even more and they just don't really have the horses to to get the fuck up the ice to do so. And so I, I do really believe that this isn't a matter of, oh, the Oilers have too much skill or they, you know, they need to focus on other areas of the ice. I, I think that a guy like Carlson could make significant improvements for them and in terms of five on five offense. And and that shouldn't be overlooked. It's kind of glossed over as like a, a non-important part of this equation, but I think that's that's kind of false. Like the numbers or even watching them play don't really indicate that that's that's based in reality. You can never have enough skill, really. Yeah. And for as good of an offensive team, team as the Oilers are, um, five on five, you know, since they've been a playoff team, you know, three years ago or whatever, um, has been, uh, you know, a sore spot. It's been an, an issue. And now, well, a lot of that has been the defending at five on five, granted. Uh, but, you know, you can never be as, you, there's always room to improve, I guess is a better way to, to phrase it, you know, from an offensive, <laughs> from an offensive standpoint. And, um, uh, you know, uh, the thing that intrigues me about, about Carlson is what it, you know, we might get into this more later, but like what, it, what it could mean to the, the defense of the court and, uh, you know, a guy like Darnell nurse, who's, you know, in a first year of a, of a mega contract here and, and is often maligned by Oilers fans, I think has been in a, in a position where he's been asked to do too much. Uh, and you know, you put him. Uh, with with Carlson and he could just be the defensive stopper and let Eric Carlson kind of run the show offensively. It would also allow, presumably, if he's not in the trade, uh, Cody Cece to to, to drop down. Cody Cece, um, you know, from his time in uh, in Ottawa and Toronto, especially, um, had a lot of detractors. His first year in Edmonton last year was, was quite good. Yep. Uh, this year has been a bit of a setback, I would say. Uh, he and Nurse have been you know been together almost the entire year. Uh, and, and I think CC, if the numbers kind of bear out that he's been the guy that's, that's been more of a drain on that pairing. So if you can drop him down, um, you know, suddenly this defense looks a lot better than, um, you know, it has. And, uh, and certainly, you know, to go back to the offensive side of the game, um, again, there's no question, um, that Eric Carlson would enhance that. My only kind of concern again is how's this contract? an age, but uh, I'll leave that with a caveat that the Oilers are in their window now, and <laughs> we should kind of forget the last maybe year or two of, the, of those four years. Uh, and the other side is, what are they giving up to get him? Because not only are they going to have to get rid of almost certainly Tyson Berry, and that uh, that's maybe fine because Carlson an upgrade there, they're going to have to give it, get rid of some forwards. And we already know that that Jesse Pugliari's days are numbered here. If they have to get rid of, you know, say either Kyler Yamamoto or Warren Fogel, you know, those guys aren't elite offensive players at five on five, but it does thin the hurt a little, little bit offensively. And uh, um, because they're so tight against the cap and in L- been in LTIR all year, um, their hands are really tied in terms of what they can what they can do to kind of make this trade work. So I think the, the real win in this trade, if it does happen, will be, you know, how much money can they get the Sharks to retain and what are they actually giving up to, to make this deal happen? Yeah. Well, let's save the logistics because that that I think that's like an entirely separate conversation for for a second. I, I do want to kind of finish up the idea of, of what um what kind of impact Carlson could have on the Oilers and how it would look like in terms of like on ice deployment, right? I think that's a really uh, salient point you made there about the impact it could have on the other blue liners who will who will stick around after a theoretical trade like this because there is that trickle down effect. I think part of why so many of these players have struggled is not necessarily that they're bad players, it's that they're being asked to do way too much relative to their respective skill level or, or talent level or capability, right? And so all of a sudden you're putting them in positions where they're just taking on way too much of a workload. And so of course it's it's draining their their efficiency and their production and they're looking worse as a result of it. All of a sudden you add Carlson, it makes life significantly easier for everyone and from a workload perspective, right? Just pure minutes, but also theoretically who they'll play, be playing against, what they'll be asked to do. You can really simplify your game. And I think especially for players like CC and Kulak who have struggled uh, quite a bit this season and were great last postseason, like they were, they were phenomenal for them. I think there could be significant improvements there in terms of just making life easier for them. And, and, and not only the upgrade you get from having Carlson in your lineup, but then how it makes everyone else better around him, even guys who aren't necessarily playing with him. Yeah, it's your point uh, about, say, Brett, Brett Kulak. I mean, last year in the playoffs, Brett Kulak and Tyson Berry were a very respectable third pair. 
mostly this year they've been the second pair. So I mean that is a huge change for them. Uh, you know they haven't found, uh, you know over the last you know six eight weeks, uh, Philip Roberts really come in and been a helpful uh, player uh, and been paired with Evan Bouchard. But um, you know last year Bouchard and and Duncan Keith were the second pair at least in the back half of the year. So there's been this, and and we talked in our, you know mentioned earlier and and you know as well about Cody Cece. You know, there's a lot of kind of moving parts that are moving in the wrong direction, right? So, to your point, you know, if you and and I kind of illustrated this earlier. I mean, if you if you can get Carlson in there, playing with Nurse and slide everyone down, that changes the whole dynamic of of that defense core. Um, you know, I I think it'd be interesting to see kind of how it would shake out. You know, after that, I, I would think you'd, you'd form kind of a veteran pair. Of uh, of Kulak and 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 Cece, you know, again we're we're assuming that Tyson Berry is going in this trade, um, and then the the third pair would be your your two uh, kind of younger guys in Bouchard and Broberg who played together for a little while and, and obviously can be sheltered and and uh, you know allowed to grow kind of in a in a third pairing role, um, you know, and there's the there'd be the um, the, the mentorship factor. I know uh, the guy. Phil Broberg looked up to as a kid in Sweden was Eric Carlson. So, I mean, uh, to have him in, uh, you know, uh, you know, in the same dressing room and then learning from him as a, as a rookie defenseman, I think would be a boon there as well. So, um, yeah, again, I, 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 I hope I didn't come into this conversation with you assuming that I was opposed to this. I really come around. I, I just, I would say from my understanding, it, you know, the Oilers are certainly in, I think everyone knows that. Um, but I would, I, I think it's about a 10-ish percent chance of, of them being able to pull it off in, in the, the next two weeks so uh, so you're saying there's a chance exactly exactly mm-hmm. so uh and that probably makes them the front runners because this is a, a very tricky deal to make at this time of year it might be easier kind of at the draft and when, when money's cleared off of, of teams books and they're about to be cleared off teams books but um there certainly are benefits don't get me wrong to, to eric carlson being an oiler uh it's just it's hard, kind of hard to see okay well here's a question here's a logistical question for you then in terms of what it would look like on the ice so i think a big part of eric carlson's magic or charm out there is his ability to carry the puck up the ice especially this year with how healthy he's looked right with it with his foot or any issues that he had previously a lower body and how he's able to like maneuver through traffic just so brilliantly and make plays and and make people miss and then get the puck up the ice in that way. And I think it's a fair question to wonder, all right, well, you know, you already have literally the best puck transporter we've ever seen in the sport in, in Connor McDavid. Leon Seidel, even though he's a bit more methodical, is still fantastic carrying the puck up the ice and, and being able to sort of, you know, keep it on his hip pocket and always be a passing option at all times with it. You want there's only one puck out there, right? When those guys are out there, and Carlson would presumably be playing a lot of his minutes with them, you want the puck on their stick. You want them handling and making those decisions and making the plays, right? And so, I think it's a fair question of okay, well, is there some potential redundancy in terms of skill set there? And I'm kind of curious for your take on it because I I, I think there isn't really like I I think first off, great players adjust, right? And I I think they'll find a way to make it work. But I'm also intrigued by the possibilities of having both those guys um, in McDavid and Dreisaitl freed up to play off the puck a little bit more, right? Like on this team, they have to do so much in the way of getting the puck up the ice that creating uh, like lanes for them, especially in McDavid, who's just like, he's so freakishly good at going from a standstill to max speed. And the idea of having Carlson have the puck and then McDavid be able to basically lay low and then just make a quick cut into open space and get a pass from him and make a play off of that is really alluring to me, right? It's not something you typically yeah. think of. You think of McDavid being the one to make the plays for everyone. But I, I think it could actually perform, uh, afford him an interesting luxury that he's never really had in his career like, with anyone he's really played with. It's it's There's a lot to unpack there. And, and as you were talking, the thing that, that kind of stood out and, and made me laugh a little bit um, was, you know, every time the Oilers are down a couple goals, uh, and things just they're, they're just not clicking offensively you, there's this moment in a game where Connor mcdavid tries to do it himself because he's just like i i, I gotta spark this team uh, i gotta go through three guys i i gotta kind of make a play uh in tight around two defensemen and you know he's got a reasonable chance to do it and sometimes he does because he's Connor mcdavid but it just shows that you know sometimes this team you know doesn't have uh you know obviously they they have some guys but you know it's mcdavid that that carry spoke of the other load into a lesser extent Leon Dreisaitl and um you know whether it's you know right in the offensive zone or of course you you talked about the 
you know, the transporting of the puck with McDavid, with whether it's on the power play or even at five on five, it's just remarkable. But, you know, I, 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 it all goes back to kind of what we talked about off the, off the top that like, who's better at, at passing pocket and making these breakup passes than Eric Carlson. You know, you think back to the playoffs several years ago when he, when he hit Mike Hoffman and, and stride and, you know, from that aerial pass, uh, you know, more than half the length of the ice. And um, can you imagine, you know, with due respect to Mike Hoffman, have that pass going on Connor McDavid's stick or even Leon Dreisaitl's stick rather than than offense. So, um, yeah, I think there'd be times where McDavid still is going to carry the puck up the ice, uh, and Dreisaitl too for that matter. And there's times where, uh, as he saw, or as I was talking about in that Detroit game last night, where they're looking to, for a nice breakout pass and it's going on their stick this time instead of being iced and and, and a goal resulting in uh, the off the ensuing faceoff. So, um, you know, from that perspective, <laughs> You know, you look at uh, Carlson playing with those guys, tremendous. And then Darnell Nurse being his sidekick as the as a defensive guy, as somebody who came into the league as, as being a defensive guy and has had to really um, adapt over the last couple of years with the absence of Oscar Kleppbaum to kind of being more of an offensive guy. Uh, I think it's a real uh, win and a, and a a good setup for for this Oilers team. Yeah, I imagine it would be much more difficult to defensively track McDavid if he was off the puck sometimes, right? Like, it, it's it's a bit easier to be like, not that anyone can really shadow him because he's moving so quickly that he's just like in and out of those lanes, right? But it's like, if he's starting deep in his own end with the puck every time, it is a bit easier to at least load up layers of defense and be like, all right, we can like visibly see where he's coming from as opposed to if he's kind of just circling around without the puck and then all of a sudden, bam, he's wide open in the middle of the ice. And it's like, okay, well, what, what can you really do at that point? Yeah, a bit easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the, a little bit. There. Not, yeah, just a little bit, yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, I, I said the the puck carrying for Carlson has been a big component of his success this year. As you mentioned, Sport Logic has him first in stretch pass attempts and fourth in most stretch passes completed uh, this season. And I think part of that has just been born out of necessity where he has to do so much for the Sharks, similar to what McDavid has to do for the Oilers. So I think there'd be a lot of uh, adaptation there and adjustments, like the creativity, the idea of them in the offensive zone, you know, running these give and goes and little set plays. And also I think there's an added layer of like, think about how much extra sort of room it allows all of these guys to operate with if all of a sudden you're having to split the attention now between even more, like with all due respect to Tyson Berry and Dardell Nurse, I think when Eric Carlson's on the ice, as he's shown this season, he requires a certain level of, of respect and attention from the opposing defense, right? I think I, that's what's been most mind-blowing to me watching so far, and, and it really shows that he's fully healthy this season, is when he's carrying the puck up the ice, you're seeing the other team sort of just like sag back because they're afraid of being burned by him. And and that's something that they didn't really weren't really doing as much the past couple of years because he wasn't as much of a threat. He's still so like cerebral and able to slice and dicey with his passing even when he wasn't moving as well but now that he's added that back to his game it's really opened up everything so i don't know i'm 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 really fascinated about the fit here i do think all of these pieces could work right i i think that's part i think that's been part of the pushback certainly there's been risk attached to it in terms of the contract the finances the term on it but i think don't you believe there's a certain segment of either the oilers fan base or people covering the team or just people around the league that aren't even attached to to the to the team in any capacity they're like well that doesn't make sense like mcdavid with carlson what's the point of that like the reason why they're so good is because they always have the puck and they're doing so much for their team and i i, I just i refute that like i think these great players will figure out a way to to make it work and and that's not an issue for me yeah no I, my uh pushback for, for lack of better terms i don't even know if it's been pushback it, it's just always been like how are they going to make this work in terms of an actual trade and you know the 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 contract, but it, it would all ultimately depend again on how much San Jose retains and and what the others are giving up. But as a strictly neutral party here, as a, as a you know a journalist covering these games, I'd love to see Eric Carlson. And, yeah, and make your job easier. Yeah, yeah. We'll be watching that. That'd be you know I I always I already have the uh, very pleasure of, of watching McDavid every night. A lot of nights, you know, in in the arena to watch those two together would be you'd think would be magical. So. Um, no, I, you know, the Oilers haven't had a true, with due respect to, you know, Darren Nurse, Oscar Clapbaugh, and some of these guys, they haven't had a true number one defenseman since Chris Pronger. And what happened when Chris Pronger was on the team? Well, 
I think Oilers fans. <laughs> well, they remember the the on ice stuff. Yeah, uh, we had to the conference or the start rather the Stanley Cup final, uh, and and arguably even in a Game Seven loss, he should have been the um, the, the Consolation Trophy winner. Um, and then of course there was the the exit of Chris Pronger, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that was the last time they've had, they've had a true number one defenseman, and, and we're going on you know uh, you know seventeen years now. Um, Eric Carlson would undisputably be that. Uh, he would be a very different number one defenseman than Chris Pronger, uh, but that's all right. Yeah, you kind of need a number one defenseman. And, and, and again, like, Darnell Nurse would be the sidekick to, to me uh, and, and allow Nurse to do the types of things that he does better or or should be doing better um, with, with you know, having a guy like Carlson to, 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 to do the other things and, and not have Nurse having to do it all. So... Uh, there's there's a lot of factors to me here that that make sense and and even the contract that the term of the contract is, is not as onerous because um, the Oilers are in their window now and you know Drysdale's got two years left on his deal McDavid three say they in the craziest worst case nightmare scenario for the for Oilers and their fans both those guys leave both those guys leave well year four of Carlson who cares the team is pretty much in yeah. disarray anyway right so we're we're focused on those two three years. Um, yeah, it's it'll be tough to make it work. I, I still think it'll be very tricky in the short term to make it work. But if it did, I mean, that would be a, a big win for the Oilers. Okay. Well, I want to. We'll talk about how they can make it work and the logistics of that uh, after the break. We'll take our break here, Danielle, and then when we come back, we'll keep chatting about all that. You're listening to the Hockey PDO Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on the Hockey PDO cast, talking about a potential Eric Carlson trade and the Oilers' interest level in it with Daniel and Jabot and Daniel. So, the reason why I wanted to spend the first half of the show talking purely about the fit in terms of what he would look like on the ice is because for all the potential sort of hurdles that would need to be cleared financially and in terms of making a trade like this work logistically, I it's certainly more complicated than a lot of NHL trades we see, uh, especially the deadline where they're they're generally pretty pretty simplified, especially compared to other sports. I will say, though, where there's a will, there's a way. And I think if the Oilers were fully convinced internally that Eric Carlson was, like, the player they needed and the best possible upgrade they could have, I don't think it would be as nearly as big of an issue as we're making it out to be, right? I think part of part of the problem for them here is because, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that internally they're very divided on whether it's enough of an upgrade to, to make a move like this. I think that's, that's partially the case. And I would also say, uh, with due respect to Ken Holland, I don't know if there's been a lot of moves that he's made, especially in the cap era, that have been very um, uh, non-traditional. Yeah. <laughs> I put it put it uh, kind of uh, lightly. Um, you know, I mean, he, he did as as general manager of the Red Wings. Uh, again, this was a draft trade, but to uh, ironically, um, you know, move out uh, Datsuk's money. Uh, to clear some cap room, give up the first round pick, which ultimately was used on Jacob Chikrin. Um, You know, as the Oilers GM, you know, he hasn't, other than retaining money in the Luchich trade, which was a necessary evil to to get out from that contract and get a contract in James Neal that could be bought out. Um, I don't believe, well, I think there was uh, one deal maybe at the deadline last year or the year before where he's got money, you know, retained from another team. Uh, you know, we all know about uh, Duncan Keith and, and not getting money retained from Chicago on that one. Um, I don't, you know, I, I'll, I'd be intrigued or, or glad to be proven wrong, but there hasn't been, at least in, in trades at this point, a lot of, like, you know, creativity or outside-the-box thinking when it comes to big trades like this. So um, I think this will test... Um, Holland and his management staff's kind of uh, abilities here because I think this trade does need a lot of, uh, you know, creativity 
uh, to be pulled off. And, you know, my, my colleague Alan Mitchell did a piece on how this could work. And, you know, he, he was, he was talking about like including other teams, uh, to take on money, which, you know, we all know is this a possibility you can include a third team and, and maybe like flipping a player and, and getting radical Gudis out of, out of Florida. I mean, this is pie in the sky stuff, but it, it does kind of speak to the, the creativity that, that would have to be, you know, um, kind of put forth here to make this deal work. And, uh, you know, Again, I, I'd be glad to be proven wrong, but I haven't seen a lot of that out of, out of Oilers management. Wow, it's a good thing he's he's paid handsomely to do that. It, it is his job, Daniel, to uh, to come up with trades like this. I mean, here's the thing: from the motiva- motivation perspective, uh, your colleague Don Lucic's current projections in the Pacific Division have as follows: the Golden Knights at 100.5 points, the Seattle Kraken at 100.5 points, the Edmonton Oilers at 100.3 points, and the LA Kings at 98.6. Like that's that's about <laughs> as tight as you're gonna get, and honestly, if the Avs aren't ever gonna get healthy, which seems like it, they just might not this season. Um, they're certainly running out of runway to do so. The West is about as wide open as I think you're ever gonna see it. Like I, I, I really do think it's not hyperbolic to say that five, certainly if not six, of the best teams in the NHL are in the Eastern Conference right now, as currently situated, before the deadline at least, and so. From a motivation perspective, I mean, you know, you mentioned how Trey Settle has two years left on his deal, McDavid has three, and what happens after that, and why the fourth year on on Carlson's contract doesn't matter if if the next two or three years don't work out anyway. I, I really don't understand how your like single agenda right now, if you're the Oilers, can't be to everything should be based around does this help us achieve our goal in these next two years, right? And or, or, uh, this 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 this. Stanley Cup run and then the two after and if it doesn't then it doesn't matter to us and I, I know it's kind of like oversimplifying a little bit because the team will still exist after that regardless of what happens and like you can't just like you know it, it's not as as uh as 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 kind of dried as that but ultimately every move needs to be like does this help us get closer to that goal and aside from Chikrin and I don't necessarily want to do a full deep dive of him here um I want to save that for for a later date when he does get traded but Aside from him, I really don't see how any of these players actually help you meaningfully get closer to that goal, right? Like, I, I, I don't understand the logic of how a Gavrikov or an Edmondson or even a Gostas Bear helps make such a tangible difference where all of a sudden you go from being in that medley of teams to separating yourself from them. And I'm not saying that adding Carlson all of a sudden assures them a Stanley Cup final appearance out of the West, but it certainly moves the needle much more than any of these other moves. And so... When you get back to that motivational perspective of why would the Oilers want to do this, should they be kind of increasing their risk profile here to accomplish a move like this? I I, I can't get my head around the answer to that being no. I completely agree with you. Uh, the West is completely wide open. I said this last year. Uh, and certainly there was the um, the difference with Colorado being so elite last year and then healthy, which is a big a big difference. Um, but their division last year was so wide open and. Uh, you know, Vegas didn't even make the playoffs and LA was kind of a team on the rise and Calgary, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but they had missed the playoffs the previous year. So uh, that was a chance for them to really uh, go for it. And, and uh, I mean, Brett Kulak and Derek Broussard, who didn't play in the playoffs or played one game. Uh, I don't know if uh, that was quite what Oilers fans were expecting. I mean, I think management also looked at getting Evander Kane saying, yeah, he was part of our team and certainly he helped transform that team. But I, but I completely agree that, you know, if they're not doing it now, when the heck are they going to do it, right? Like, McDavid could get 150 points this year. Leon Dreisaitl is second in the league in scoring, you know. Um, Ryan Eugene Hopkins and and uh, Zach Hyman are having career years. Um, these guys are only going to get older. Uh, they're only going to get... Uh, to a point where their contracts have fewer years on them and, and potentially, especially in McDavid and Dreisaitl's case, might not be here. Uh, it's time to go for it. Now, on the same, you know, and having said that, uh, well, uh, first I'll say I, I agree with, with the Gavrikov and the and the Edmondson and, and Gossespair kind of, uh, you know, philosophy that you have. I've said this for weeks now. They need to acquire a top four defenseman or else forget about it and just upgrade my, Ryan Murray as your number seven guy and have get some extra depth. I think Oilers fans uh, would, would choose uh, which path they, they should go on. My point, though, is, you know, they've been 
you know, what I've been told is over the last few weeks, they've been really trying to evaluate their defensemen. You know, they have, um, again, Philip Broberg, who's in his first true year. He was, a, you know, played some games last year, but getting real opportunity. And they, they brought up Vincent DeHarnay, who's played 12 games, I believe. Uh, certainly as, as, you know, 26-year-old, not really high-end prospect, but a, but a guy that could penalty kill and, and, and whatnot. And they've used a lot of the 11-7 uh, scheme. Uh, during that time but they also played had a really weak schedule during that time and how much can you really glean out of uh how well the team had done you know up until last uh last night they were um nine one and two over those 12 games so tremendous record goals against dropping better play from their goaltending uh, you know go down the list but again the, the strength of schedule was there so how, how much are you really you know looking into that or, or reading into that um so, you know, I think they, they still need to upgrade the defense. Uh, as we talked about, getting that top four guy that can push everyone up, you know, down the lineup would, would be helpful. The two guys, I, I've been on the chicken train for for all for basically the whole year because he's been out there for, for forever. And the contract is so, you know, such a sweetheart deal and uh, one that sh- theoretically should be able to be moved a lot easier than Carlson's. But Carlson fits that boat, um, you know, as well. Uh, the one thing, though, uh, and this kind of, I don't want to say it baffles me because I understand, um, but Ken Holland is is very uh, much a, a long-term thinker. Um, and he, you know, he will refuse. He, they're not completely untouchable, but there's basically no way Dylan Holloway and Philip Roberg are being traded. Those are their two top prospects that are on the roster. And, and they're again, they've been proving I wouldn't want to trade those guys. But certainly those are their most uh, desirable trade assets for other teams. Uh, the first round pick, he hasn't traded a first round pick for a rental. I think it goes back to 2001. I'd have to double check that, but it has been a long time. I could see it happening this year, but again, he is, his mantra has always been, don't trade a first round pick unless it's for guys with term. Um, so if you're not trading those those assets, and again, granted that uh, Carlson and, and Chikrin have term on their deal, but if you're not trading those assets to to upgrade the team you're you know you're left with not very much because everyone in Edmonton with a uh, with five million dollar cap hit or higher has has either no trade or no move uh, clauses in their contracts so you're left with not very much uh on the roster to be able to move out so um you know if you're not going to want to get creative or you're not going to want to uh, move out future assets it really ham- hamstrings uh what Holland uh, could do so um you know I look at a team like Pittsburgh where their window is we have Sidney Crosby and future be damned. And and maybe they've taken that to, to a bit of, a, of an extreme with like basically trading out their first round pick every year or their top prospect, like their farm system, is, is their, their prospect pipeline is barren. But you have to admire that in a way. Like, you know, it's a generational player who's still playing very well. And, um, you know, certainly I think Pittsburgh's on the, on the downslope compared to Edmonton being on the upslope, but They've they've kind of are trying to squeeze every drop out of the sponge, whereas I don't know if the Oilers have really done that uh, over the last couple of years, and and I don't know if they'll quite do it again at the deadline either. That's that's you know based on how Ken Holland and the management staff has, has operated, I'm not sure, uh, and and I think that is a, a maybe a, a failing because it, you only have one Connor McDavid and one Leon Drysaddle for so long. Yeah, well, I think the Oilers are an interesting example there because. I think it's unfair to compare their current situation to the Oilers, but if you go to the summer of 2015, when they had had a bunch of playoff failures in recent years, and we're kind of wondering, all right, well, well, like, what's where, where's our franchise headed? We're kind of at this crossroads. They aggressively went out. They traded what multiple futures for Phil Kessel. He came in, gave them a significant shot in the arm, and they won two cups after that, right? And and that's oversimplifying. Um, what happened, but it, it, like I, I think that would be a much more interesting sort of uh, example or, or connection to the, the situation the Oilers are in right now. And so I, I will say I, I the addition of Kulak last deadline was massive for them. Like I, I, I love his game and he was fantastic for them in the playoffs. I'm a bit concerned when you say about like they're, take, they're using this time to evaluate their defensemen and kind of what goes into that because... I'm not sure if it was your reporting or, or, or who else's it was, but it seems like part of the reason why they're not fully in on Jacob Chikrin is because they're worried that 
he's too offensively dependent. Like, like, and and I've gone back and watched every single shift he's taken so far this year in preparation for whatever trade comes down the pike. That's just not on the tape. Like, it's just not true. It's not based in reality. And so I, I just don't understand where these evaluations are coming from on defensemen. And and that's part of why I brought up like the motivation and how Carlson would fit in everything because I just think like there's such a misrepresentation of what some of these players are and how they would fit on the Oilers. And it seems like everyone's ability to evaluate these players is just not what I'm seeing on the tape from them. Yeah, that is true. That is what I know. Uh, they do not like, they're not crazy about Jacob Trickens defensive game. <laughs> and I don't agree with that. Uh, I'm with you. Um, and I think the contract is so sweet and the age, he's 24. It's only getting better. You know, uh, health obviously has been a, a bit of a concern with him. And I think the others are, are concerned about that as well. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I you, you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Dimitri, but I don't, I don't think any of the injuries he's had have been chronic or, or you know, there have been some fluke injuries and things like that. I, I don't know if you, you know, want to discount uh, the possibility of having Jacob Tricker on your roster because he's been hurt a few times. Uh, he's been great this year. Uh, yeah, the asking price, you know, that's, a, that's another topic. Is, from what I understand, it's been huge. You know, I reported this last or earlier this year. I know at the deadline, for instance, say Arizona wanted uh, Alex Newhook, Bull Byram, and a first round pick for Jacob Tricker. And like, that's a that's a big ask. But that is different than not being crazy about his defensive game or thinking that he's the wrong right or wrong fit uh for for the roster. And uh, you know, I've been again been on talking about Jacob Tricker forever because um, you know, there's the left side of the defense too. Where it, it's still the same same um, uh, you know example where he'd be right behind Darnell Nurse, uh, pushing Darnell Nurse for minutes, taking a little bit of the, of the responsibility and and um, you know workload off of, of Darnell Nurse's shoulders. You know you'd be probably pushing Brett Kulak down to the to the third pair. Uh, and when it comes to Philip Broberg, you know he up until coming over to North America, um, his whole career as a minor hockey player, as a pro in, in Sweden, was playing the right side. And he's done it a little bit in the minors. And, and uh, last year, you know, paired for a few games with Duncan Keith, he was on the right side. So I think they trust him, and or they should be able to trust him enough in that role to, you know, to play a third pairing uh, role if they had to, um, you know, if, they, if he wasn't part of that trade and they kept him on the roster. So there are, there are ways to kind of get around that. But again, to me, it's Carlson, Chikrin, some other top four defensemen that we don't know about or aren't thinking about or, or don't bother. I mean, the one thing that, that does kind of, um, you know, is okay with me as long as the asking price isn't outlandish with, with Gabrikov is he's a rental and that way it doesn't, you know, screw up, uh, Broberg's, um, you know, development path or things of that nature. You can cut your losses uh, after the year if it, if it's not great, but you know, I don't want to be tied there. If I were the Oilers, I would want to be tied to, you know, multiple years of, of Joel Edmondson, who's had injuries, or um, a player like that. I forget if there's if there's another defenseman out there with term, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's, you get a guy that is good or great uh, that can really significantly upgrade the defense, or just don't bother and and find a little extra depth in case there are injuries. Yeah, that that yeah. When I when I saw that you said about their opinions of Chickren's game, I I just. I, I was about as flabbergasted as it gets, right? Like, it's just like, it just couldn't be further from the truth from from what I see. But um, yeah, I mean, he would make a lot of sense, but that you're know, worried about the acquisition costs and trading futures. I understand it's different for a younger player who it's easier to facilitate the contract. And, you know, you got two more years of him at a really great age and it fits in with, right, it expires at the same time as Dreisaitl's contract. Like a lot of that makes sense, but I don't know. I, you know, to tie up a bow on the Carlson conversation, so it seems like the Oilers would need to get his cap hit down to seven point five million or so in that range, right? Well, that, uh, Elliot Friedman reported kind of six point five to seven. You know, I haven't really run the numbers that well, but you know, Ty- Tyson Berry's at four and a half. Mm-hmm. So even at that number, it's I mean, you're, you'd be getting another probably rid of another forward. They are. Um, interested we'll say to get rid of uh warren fogel i i think i mean there's been times where he's played well but he's got another year at 2.5 2.75 for other million dollars uh on the cap so for all the um 
angst and talk about Yessi Pugliarvi being uh, traded or or waived or, or off this roster soon, I, you know, I it makes a lot of sense just strictly for the fact that they need to clear their cap room and that, you know, at this point at $3 million, quite frankly, they're not going, they wouldn't um, qualify him uh, in the summer and he's a year away from UFA. So, you know, Yes, if we might go and have a, a great career somewhere else, he might go to Finland. We we don't know. Um, uh, you know, would you like to kind of get more out of him and, and, and try him for longer? Yeah, but unfortunately, the ship has just sailed here in Edmonton. Um, so we kind of have to cut your losses there. Um, but with Warren Fogel, there's the intrigue of, again, moving him out because he's got another, another year on his deal. So if you can move Barry and Fogel, you know, just simple math, you're, you're at, what uh they're at kind of that that number yeah so um but then of course what interest would the sharks have in those two players as a rebuilding team so you're adding sweeteners you obviously need to give rid of uh you know yeah give up prospects a high uh, uh you know draft picks as well you know and at what yeah well, what, why why not well, that's what you well, ask you right I, like that's not prohibitive yeah. for me i think if you can get carlson down to 7.5 and all you're subtracting from your roster is Barry and let's say Fogo, but even Yamamoto, honestly, and you're just trading futures prospects. If you don't want to trade Broberg and, and Holloway, all right, that's fine. I'd be okay trading Broberg personally, but um, you know, if it's Borgo, if it's if it's other assets, all of that is fine with me because at least with at least with Broberg and Holloway, you can talk yourself into them fitting this timeline in the sense that they're already on the team and we've seen them play in the NHL. So contributing on an ELC or on a very team-friendly cap figure next year or the year after is in play, right? Like, yeah. uh, some of these other prospects or picks or firsts... Oh, God, like yeah. The, the 2023 first will not play on the Edmonton Oilers until, like, 2028. That's the best. Well, okay. yeah. No, but I mean, like, realistically, if the pick yeah, is yeah. in the 20s, that player will not be in the NHL for at least two, three, four years. And at that point, they'll probably be a four-finer being eased in by an NHL coach that doesn't really trust them fully, right? And it's like... All right, what are we what are we doing here? How does that player help what you're trying to accomplish? So for me, yeah. as long as you can get Carlson down to seven point five, I I don't care what the future asking price is really. And getting it down to seven point five, I think actually is is not that difficult, right? It takes twenty percent from San Jose, which is two point seven million, which by the way, is less than they're already retaining on Brent Burns, who they just gave away for free, and fifteen percent from another team like. I don't know, the Chicago Blackhawks yeah. who have done this before. And the thing I keep coming back Except to for is, Duncan Keith. <laughs> well, yes. But 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 they facilitated trades uh helping um helping make stuff happen. And, and here's the here's the thing for me. So the part of the issue here is the four years that are left after this season in the sense that if you're retaining money, it's quite a commitment from a timeline perspective to say four years from now we will still be paying between one and three million dollars for a player that's on our team. If you're the Blackhawks or the Sharks, though, the, looking at their rosters right now, they don't have a single player on their team that's like a young player who in that timeline will be due for a huge raise. Now, if either of them wins the Connor Bedard lottery, that fourth year will be like the first year of Bedard's second deal. And so at that point, you will want to be competitive and wasting money on a player who's not on your team isn't ideal. But ultimately, what's the cap going to be like in 2027 or whatever? I, I don't. I really don't think it's nearly as big of an obstacle. Clearly, it takes ownership signing off and paying for it. But if it comes with future assets and picks and prospects, which is what both these teams desperately need to be trying to do, I really think the fit is much more logical from a logistical perspective than it's being made out to be. Acknowledging what you said, that this isn't necessarily in Ken Holland's MO where we don't have a historical track record to point to to suggest that he's capable of a deal like this. But I think... If you or I were con- concocting a trade like this, it's it's pretty doable. Yeah, there's there are two things there. I guess firstly, quite frankly, I don't I don't know what prospects the, the San Jose Sharks were coveting are are coveting or would be coveting. Excuse me. Uh, I, I think they, you know, you'd probably want Roberg or Holloway over lesser prospects that are in junior, uh, like Reed Schaefer or in the minors like Kevin mm-hmm. Borgo. Um, I, again, those two guys, um, Holloway, Broberg, or essentially is as close to untouchable as you can possibly get for for the Oilers. Um, now, is that a deal breaker? Like, I, I don't know. But I, if I'm if I'm the Sharks, I'm going for the best prospects, naturally. Uh, the other thing is, is, as you mentioned, like the four years. That's a big, and, and you, I, I 
granted, you take your point on, on, on Brent Burns that I didn't consider, but to the same point, then they'd be, you know, tied up for two guys long term. Like that's right. a lot for, yeah. for an ownership to, uh, <laughs> you know, you're an owner paying however many million dollars for two guys that are playing somewhere else. That, that's, that's, that's a look great for not only a general manager, but just, it's, it's a tough spill, pill rather to swallow uh, for for an owner. But at the same time, we everyone knows that, that Carlson is not being moved without some salary retention. Like it's 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 basically a foregone conclusion here. Um, so I mean the other the other factor here is is that third team and and to your point, like you know Chicago, whether it's or any team, Columbus or, or Arizona, you know these teams kind of at the bottom of the standings. I don't know. Uh, necessarily Columbus's uh, cap situation, but the other two certainly need to put money on their books. Um, that's one thing, but four four years that's that's the biggest kind of obstacle for me. If you're another team taking on, um, you know, a trade that you're really not much of a part of uh, for for four years, again, it, it would kind of depend how much and all, all those types of things. If I'm the owners, I'm trying to get a third team in to lower that money as much as possible. Um, obviously, depending on the the asking price of what that team would want. Um, but it is, it is, there are some logistical concerns that, yeah. that you want to make it kind of tricky, but, but I'm for it, you know, yeah. I, I get it. I, I just, yeah, I just, I just wanted to push back on the idea that this is too risky, right? It's like too risky compared to, to what alternative the status quo. Like, I, I think that's riskier you know, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I think, I think some ambition is, is, is not bad for any, anyone involved. I think that HL could use a lot more of it. So, um, yeah. Daniel, we got to get out of here. I'll give you quickly a chance here to just let the listeners know where they can check you out on the way out. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DNB Sports. So the initials of my last name and sports because I made that Twitter handle many, many years ago when I was still in university. Uh, and of course at The Athletic. Um, in non-trade news, I have a, a really nice piece coming out tomorrow about Ben Stelter, who uh, I think... Uh, and his name kind of speaks for itself or it needs a little introduction for whether it's Oilers fans or those uh, in the hockey world. Um, uh, I had a chance to talk to a lot of people that were close to him and um, it should be a nice read that will take your mind off trades for, for a day. Okay. Well, Daniel, this is a blast. I'm glad we were finally able to get you on the show. Looking forward to having you back on in the future. And thank you to all the listeners for listening to the Hockey PDO cast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.